Good morning. I trust that everybody is sufficiently recovered from the festivities of Monday. October 31st is just such a big day. It's the day we celebrate the Reformation. I know that's something that you kids these days always love to do. Martin Luther and all of his contributions to church history. Do we have any Lutherans in the house today? No, you're not actually Lutherans because see what happens is when you ask if any Lutherans are in the house, they quietly contemplate with a lot of passion how much they enjoy being Lutherans, but they would never make noise in a worship service. So stop hating, stop fronting, but um, we are glad that all the real Lutherans are here. I'm sure there's tons of them. It came to my attention that Monday was also Halloween. Uh, I found this out when I got home from work and didn't recognize any of my children. We had a cheerleader. Uh, we had Ray from Star Wars, and we had a clone trooper. And my little clone trooper, um, he said, Dad, I'm so excited to go to the lake for trick-or-treating. I hope my friends are there. I hope Xander is there because I want to see if a clone trooper or Batman would win in a wrestling match. And, you know, like, we've all been there. We've all had those, those deep thoughts and prayer times where we wonder who would win in a wrestling match between Batman and a clone trooper. Um, so, you know, I was, I was glad that he was thinking through these things. It's something that we think through a lot. Um, who is, who's the strongest? Who's the best? That's something that, that we really like to identify with. That's why a lot of us at Halloween do dress up as superheroes. That's why a lot of us at Halloween dress up like very powerful things throughout history, like Tyrannosaurus Rexes. That's why we dress up for Halloween like gold medal gymnastics teams. Like that was a super legit group costume um, from those ladies. I saw that on the Insta. I was very, very impressed. My daughter, who's a gymnast, she was very impressed. That's why we, we buy those, those, those muscle suits and walk around on Halloween because we want to resonate with what it means to be strong. However, I think it might be important for us in this space, in this time, to ask the question, what does it mean for us to need a savior? What does it mean for us to need a savior? What does it mean for us to be weak? What does it mean for us to contemplate our brokenness and how God views that and how God reacts to that, how God sees us, and, and what God wants us to be, what God wants us to do. I think when we really dig into scripture, there are some good encouragements for us in light of our brokenness, in light of what it means for us to embody the, the human part of being weak. The kind of second quote-unquote, book of Isaiah, the second movement of Isaiah, is a very encouraging movement. It's not without its realism. It's not without its, its, its arguments, but there is a lot about it that, that paints a picture, and paints a picture in a beautiful and passionate and moving and emotional, still factual way about how God views his people. Isaiah 43 is written in such a way, it won't show up like this on the screen, but if you have a physical Bible, if you have a, an electronic Bible, it's written in such a way that it's written in verse. It's, it's, it's like it's written as a poem. In Isaiah chapter 43, the prophet asks us to consider what does it mean for us to be called to the Savior? I think it means three things, and then I think there's an addendum at the end that will give us uh, an invitation if we're not convinced to embrace the three things that the prophet tells us to wrestle with God a little bit, to have it out with God a little bit, which may be something that is uncomfortable for us 
but I believe it's something that is necessary. Hear the word of the Lord from the book of Isaiah, chapter 43. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I've redeemed you. I've called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, people in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, who I formed and made. When we look at where we are, what it means for us to, to need a Savior, to be called to the Savior, The first affirmation that the prophet Isaiah gives us is that you are valuable to God. You are valuable to God. I am valuable to God. We as a collective are valuable to God. The people of Israel at this time, they probably didn't feel very valuable. They felt forgotten. They felt lost. They felt pushed aside. Darkness had closed in all around them, and there was no hope in their existence. Family members had been separated from each other. People's identities had been, been, been ripped from them generationally. They were not seen as fully valuable in the eyes of the empire. They were seen as commodities. They were seen as something that was to be tamped down so that it could not be strong enough to gain its own freedom. And the people at this point in time are probably teetering on the edge, and some have probably even gone off the edge and have totally lost hope. And they're probably thinking, man, God's not real. Or if God is real, then God does not care about us. We are never, ever, ever getting out of this. And the message that the prophet Isaiah brings to the people is, no, indeed, you are valuable. You're valuable because even though you have not seen the mighty hand of God work, what does it say here in in verse 1? That God still not only knows your name, but that God calls you by name. That God is willing to redeem you, to take something that looks like it has no value and to give something of value up for it so that it can be reclaimed. And the prophet here with, with, with these words that come from God really does show some empathy for what the people are going through. He talks about when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. This is part of the realism of the prophet. What we know about that, that picture of water, especially in the Hebrew Bible, in the Hebrew culture, is it kind of means, means chaos. Like, have you ever been in, in a waters that were so strong that you felt as though you had lost control? 
Not a jacuzzi with the bubbles tickling you all over in the ribs. I'm not talking about a, a nice, gentle stream. I'm not talking about, about a bathtub. I'm talking about like the ocean. That feeling when you are out in the ocean and the wave comes over your head and it overwhelms you. You don't have time to get a full breath. And as you take the, 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 the little bit of the breath that you can get, it's not 100% air. You get that nasty, salty water all up in, in, in your nose and your nostrils. I mean, in the end, it's kind of good. The ocean's kind of like God's neti pot in that way. But at the same time, it's just not a real pleasant situation. Have you ever been, been whitewater rafting and, and, and got chucked out, of, chucked, chucked out of the raft? And you can't find your footing. And even when you find a little bit of footing, it's, 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 it's slippery. There, there, there's algae built up on the rocks. You feel as though you are not in control. It feels chaotic. Isaiah is saying, look, look, this isn't a magic wand situation. There is reclamation coming. There's redemption coming. There are going to be times when you are going to realize that you are not in control. But that does not mean that God's not in control. You are valuable to God. And God is going to reach out and he's going to snatch you up. God is going to call you from the far places your offspring. It doesn't matter the direction. He says in verse five, from the east and from the west, the people will be gathered. In verse six, from the north, do not give up. From the south, do not withhold. People will come from afar and they will be gathered centrally into the presence of God. You are valuable to God. Now, secondly, in addition to being valuable to God, (laughs) you have a job. You have a job to do. Verse 8 says, bring out the people who are blind yet have eyes, who are deaf yet have ears. All the nations gather together and the people assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right and let them hear it and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any other after me. I, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed. When there is no strange God, when there is no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God also, henceforth I am He. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I send to Babylon. And bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans in the ships in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. That says a lot about God, but it also says something about the job that we have to do. And the job that we have to do that is iterated and reiterated in that passage is that we are to be witnesses. We are to be witnesses. Now, I don't know if Nike and LeBron James have paid God any royalties for uh, copping his slogan, witness, but that is not primarily what basketball fans are supposed to be. That's what the people of God are supposed to be. We are supposed to be witnesses in the servant who God has chosen. And so not only is God saying you are valuable to me, but God is proving the value that he sees in his people by then putting us to work, by giving us something to steward, by giving us something to do, by giving us something to watch over. And he's not giving it to us because of our skill set. 
Because what does God say there? He, he, he says, look, this is all about potential. This is not about your resume. In verse 8, when he says, bring out the people, he doesn't say bring out the people who are looking at things clearly and seeing things right. No, he says, bring out the people who are blind, but yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. God understands how he created us. God also understands how we are existing That we may be existing outside of the understanding that we are valuable to God. That we may be existing, not embracing the job that God has given us to be his witnesses. But God says, look, I'm going to call you. I'm going to still call you. Because the potential that that, that you have is, is not limited to your desires. And it's not limited to how you use your skill set at any given time. It's limited by what God can do and by God's power. And you know what? God's action and God's power, those things are limitless. So you are valuable to God and you have been called to be God's witnesses. Some of us are having a hard time believing that that applies to us. Some people are having a hard time seeing that because like Israel, we have been stuck in a place for a really long time. And so it's hard for us to imagine something different than that which we see in our lives right now. But thus says the Lord in verse 16, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse army and warrior. They lie down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to drink to my chosen people, to the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. You're valuable to God. You're called to be a witness to what God is doing. And you know what? The good news is that God is doing a new thing. God's doing a new thing. That old thing, that that, that time, that that time in, in your life, that time in our life, it's time for that to be put to bed. It's time for that to be over. Because what God is calling us to is to go down new paths, And to be about things that are renewing. To be about things that are life-giving. And that doesn't happen all at once. Look, when the hundred-year winter ended in Narnia, did the sun just come out and radiate everything? No, they had to go through a period of slush. They had to go through a period where the ice and the snow had to melt and they weren't necessarily prepared for that because you got people who are walking around trying, trying to still uh, operate in sleds in the old way when a new way was being ushered in. When it stopped raining and Noah was on that boat with the camels and the goats and the elephants and any other animal that you can imagine, the lemur, the ostrich, and all of their feathers, and all of their hair, and all of their do-do-do-do, and all of that stuff, all of their food, was it a deal where, like, you know, God just, like, unplugged the, the, the drain in the North Pole, and all the water went down, and they got out, and they walked on dry land? No, Moses had to, or Noah had to go out there, and Noah had to take a bird. He had to send the bird out, and the bird came back. He had to send the bird out. The bird came back with, with, with a, a branch. There was a sign that things were changing, but they weren't quite fully changed yet, and then finally Noah sends the bird out, and the bird stays gone. And Noah says that bird has found a home and things have finally changed. 
God is doing something new. And that new thing in our lives, that new thing in our communities is something that we are invited into. It's something that is always starting. It's something that is always getting going. It's something that will not be consummated fully until the end of times. But there is a new thing for us to be about. Tell you what, man, this has been an interesting year on this campus. I think we got a, a lot of folks who are kind of stuck in some old things, huh? A lot of us are stuck in, in some old habits. A lot of us are stuck in some old mindsets. Some of those mindsets are mindsets that we've embraced. Some of those mindsets are poisonous ideas that people have planted into us about our worth, about what it means to be a, a, an adult, a man or a woman. Some of us are stuck in these, in these poisonous mindsets of, of what it means to order our priorities in life. And those things have gotten skewed. Our priorities have gotten skewed from what God says our priorities should be. And be it our own personal sin or, or the sins of, of the people around us that we have, have been living in and that have, have, have stifled our own growth, we're stuck in some muck. We're stuck in, in, in some oldness. Things are, are changing and being invited to change around us, but we're getting stuck in the mud. We're getting stuck in the slush. And we got to realize there's some things about our lives that have to change because God is wanting to do something new in here. And you know what? That's not always easy. That's not always easy, but God could do it. Because when there was a sea, God made a way and provided deliverance for his people. And when armies rose up, God was able to tamp them down. And we have to take to heart the ideas that Isaiah gives us in verse 18 to remember not the former things and not consider things that are old, but to seek God and to see that God is doing a new thing, that we can perceive it, that we can be a part of it, that we can see the ways that God is making through the wilderness of our sin, the wilderness, the brokenness of our world into a place that is abundant and full and good. And the case has been presented. It's been presented in a, in a loving way. It's been presented in a passionate way here by, by the prophet. It's been presented in, in a way that is really from the heart because that's what we, we do when we feel something deeply, isn't it? We create art. And I think that's why this, these sections of Isaiah are stanza off in verse. I think that's why they are, are, are poetry because this is something that God feels very deeply, desires very deeply, wants us to hear in a very real way. But being the realist that God is all knowing, God knows that we can get through those 24 verses and some of us can, can still have a quibble. Some of us can still have a doubt. Some of us can still not be quite so sold on this fact that we are indeed valuable to God, that God calls us to be his witnesses, that God wants to do something new in our lives, that we should be about that new thing. And so then God brings, even in, in the course of this verse, some legal language and God says this in verse 22, yet you do not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. 
You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or offered me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense. You have not brought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins. You've wearied me with your iniquities. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Remembrance. Let us argue together. Set forth your case that you may be proved right. First, your father sinned, and your mediators transgressed against me. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary and deliver Jacob to utter destruction and Israel to reviling. Man, the end of that love letter is full of some passion, isn't it? Because what God understands to be one of our, our, our biggest hesitations in jumping all in with all these things that God has already affirmed about us and how he views us and ourselves and our weakest state is that our sin is a burden. Our sin is a burden. And it's a burden to the point where sometimes we cannot imagine any other way. Sometimes we can't even imagine that we are in the wrong. And our collective sin can be a burden as well. And I think it's interesting what God says here. God's not scared. God says, let us argue it out. Let's talk about it. Let's lay everything out. And when we lay it out, what you see is that you've got sin in your life. And when you lay it out, what what, what you see is that the people that, that I had put in your life and in your community to bring you to me, they had sin in their lives. And what you see is that the generations, the people in your family, they had sin in their lives. And so you might want to want to claim innocence. You might want to say that, nah, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't need to change. Nothing needs to, to happen. God sees me fine just the way I am. God is saying, no, you are stuck. You are stuck. And part of that is of our own doing. And part of that is of the doing of the people who have come before us. And yes, sometimes part of that is, is, is even a, a culpability of failure of leadership on the people that God has ordained to lead us back to him. That's just the situation. And God says, as we lay that out in terms of what humanity has done, now let's lay out who I am. I'm still going to be your redeemer. And I don't have to have to do this thing. I want to do this thing. I want to bring you back. I want to love you. I want to be in relationship with you. I want to forgive your sins. Don't want to remember them anymore. And for my own sake, what I am going to do, because you are my creation, is I am going to blot out your transgressions. And if you got through those first three points that you're valuable to God, that God wants you to be his witness, that God wants to to do something new in your life, And if you were there and you were like, you know what, I'm kind of done with that because I don't think that's for me or I just can't do it. I can't imagine anything else Then I'm going to invite you to do something. I'm going to invite you to argue with God. You probably never heard anybody tell you to argue with God before. I think a lot of people tell you to acquiesce to God. I think a lot of people tell you to fake it till you make it. I'll say this. Go ahead. Argue with God. God invites us to argue with him. He doesn't necessarily invite us just to argue with Christians doesn't invite us to argue on Facebook, but I think if we get on our knees and if we get in this word and if we are honest with God about our doubts, about the anger that we harbor in our own lives, about our hurts, about why we will not come to him, I think that God is faithful enough to come back with an answer to us. 
And I don't think it's, you know, any kind of magic spell, and it it may not be instantaneous. But what I see in Isaiah chapter 43 is a God that wants nothing more than for the reclamation of your life to be on a trajectory to wholeness and completeness where you can embrace yourself and see yourself the same way that God sees you. As a child of God, who is valued by God, who is commissioned by God to do something amazing and in whom God wants to constantly renew. And though the waters may come up over our heads, though we may feel like we are drowning at times, God will make a way. Though we may feel in danger and perilous, though though the canopy of darkness may cover us, though we may feel like we are starving and exhausted, God will make a way through the wilderness and God will be our deliverer. God, we do thank you for this day. And God, we thank you for uh, the history that, that precedes us. And we know that that crosses generations, that that crosses oceans, that that crosses stories. And we know that at the beginning of the story, at the very origin, what is true is that you existed, that you had authority, and that you created us in your image. And as we have entered the story much, much later, God, help us to be about reclaiming the basics of that story in our lives. And for some of us today, God, what that means is repentance. Give us repentant hearts. And for some of us that feel like we just can't be repentant, At least, God, give us the courage to stand before you, to pour ourselves out before you in full honesty, in full transparency, to to tell you to your face why we're not believing these things and to have the patience to see what your response might be. God, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you do not quit on us. We thank you, God, that your vision for us is so much bigger than we can see. Give us eyes that are seeing. Give us ears that are hearing. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.